إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we've now reached the hadith of Abu Qatada. رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي بنا فيقرأ في الظهر والعصر في ركعتين الأوليين بفاتحة الكتاب وسورتين ويسمعنا الآية أحيانا ويطول الركعة الأولى ويقرأ في, الأخ... في الأخريين بفاتحة الكتاب متفق عليه This hadith of Abu Qatada رضي الله عنه where he says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to lead us in prayer and he would recite in dhuhr and asr in the opening two raka'at with the fatiha and a surah and sometimes he would allow us to hear that and he would extend the opening raka'ah, and he would recite in the last two raka'at, just the fatiha. This hadith, we mentioned it before, and the benefits from it, that as Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentioned was, that firstly, تَطْوِيلُ الْأُولِيَيْنِ مِنَ الظُّهْرِ وَالْعَصْرِ To elongate the first two raka'at of dhuhr, and to elongate the first two raka'at of Asr. Then on top of that, أَنَّ الرَّكَعَةَ الْأُولَى مِنَ الظُّهْرِ وَالْعَصْرِ تَكُونُ أَطْوَلُ مِنَ الرَّكَعَةَ الثَّانِيَةِ That the first raka'ah from Dhuhr, and the first raka'ah from Asr, it is longer than the second raka'ah. So when praying the Dhuhr prayer, the first raka'ah is longer than the second raka'ah. And similarly in the Asr prayer, the first raka'ah is longer than the second raka'ah. Similarly from the benefits was, that in the opening two raka'at of dhuhr, and similarly the opening two raka'at of asr, then a person recites the fatiha, and some other parts of the Qur'an, some other surah from the Qur'an. Fourthly, أنه صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يسر القراءة في صلاة الظهر والعصر ولا يجهر بها that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to recite quietly in the dhuhr and the asr prayers however the fifth benefit أنه صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يسمعهم الآية أحيانا that on occasion sometimes the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would allow them to hear the ayah. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْجَهْرَ بِبَعْضِ الْآيَاتِ فِي صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ أَوْ الْعَصَرِ لَا بَأْسَ بِهِ لَكِنَّ الْغَالِبَ مِنْ فِعْلِهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam الْإِسْرَارِ This therefore indicates that on some occasion, if the imam raised his voice on an ayah or so here or there in the dhuhr or the asr prayer, <coughs> then that is allowable as this particular narration indicates. However, the majority and what is done is that in dhuhr and asr, it is not out loud, rather the Prophet ﷺ would recite quietly. Then after that, <coughs> the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu qal, kunna nahzuru قيام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في الظهر والعصر أبو سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه he says that we used to estimate the length of the standing of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم من ظهر العصر فحذرنا قيامه في الركعتين الأوليين من الظهر قدر Alif, Lam, Mim, Tanzil. So he says we estimated 
that the Prophet ﷺ stood in the opening two raka'at of Dhuhr, the equivalent of reciting Surah Sajda, the equivalent of reciting as Sajda. وَفِي الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ قَدْرَ النَّصْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكِ And as for the other two, the remaining two of Dhuhr, then approximately half of Sajda. That was the equivalent of his standing time in the Raka'ah. The equivalent of half of Surah Sajda in recitation. Whereas the opening two Raka'at, it was the equivalent of reciting the full Surah Sajda. وَفِي الْأُولَيَيْنِ مِنَ الْعَصَرِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ قَدْرَ النِّسْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكِ And the first two from Asr, عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ قَدْرَ النِّسْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكِ فِي الْأُولَيَيْنِ مِنَ الْعَصْرِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ مِنَ الظُّهْرِ وَالْأُخْرَيَيْنِ عَلَىٰ النِّسْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكِ رواه مسلم So now these halves, the halves of the raka'at, they'll come now in detail what is meant by the halves of the raka'at. الشيخ الفوزان says regarding it هذا الحديث فيه عناية الصحابة بمعرفة صفة صلاة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ونقلها ليقتدوا به صلى الله عليه وسلم وليقتدي من جاء بعدهم فهذا دليل على نصحهم للأمة وإخلاصهم واتباعهم للرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وَلِذَٰلِكَ صَارُوا خَيْرَ الْقُرُونِ وَاخْتَارَهُمُ اللَّهُ جَلَّ وَعَلَىٰ لِصُحْبَةِ نَبِيِّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Firstly, the shaykh says, this hadith indicates the extreme enthusiasm that the sahaba had in narrating the details of the sunnah. That they were extremely zealous over the sunnah in narrating it and preserving it, that to such an extent they even tell us now in these narrations how long the Prophet ﷺ would stand for in the prayer. Let alone describing the manner in which he would pray, the movements, etc. But to actually then explain now in these narrations as the companions did, exactly how long the Prophet ﷺ would stand in prayer. So it shows how much attention to detail they gave with regards to preserving and narrating that sunnah. That even the length of the standing of the Prophet ﷺ in the prayer, they narrated that. This indicates their sincerity and their wanting to advise the ummah in implementing and practicing and clinging to that sunnah. And this is why they were the best of the generations. This is why they were the best of the generations. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them to be the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَعْنَا نَحْزُرُ بِضَمِّ الزَّاي أَيْ نَقْدُرُ الْحَزْرِ مَعْنَاهُ التَّقْدِيرِ فَهَذَا فِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَمْ يَكُنْ يَجْهَرْ بِالْقِرَاءَةِ فِي النَّهَارِ وَإِنَّمَا كَانَ يُسِرُّ بِهَا here in the beginning of the hadith, the companions, it is mentioned, they used to estimate how long the Prophet ﷺ stands in the Dhuhr and the Asr prayer. They used to estimate. What does that indicate? It indicates that the Prophet ﷺ would pray or lead the Dhuhr and the Asr prayer in silence. They are silent prayers. That's why the companions had to estimate how long the Prophet ﷺ was standing for. So they estimated it was equivalent to sajda, surat sajda. They didn't know with absolute precision because the Prophet ﷺ wasn't actually reciting out loud. If the Prophet ﷺ was reciting out loud, they could have just said, in the first raka'ah he recited 27 ayat, or 30 ayat, or 50 ayat. They could have just mentioned the exact number of ayat that were recited. However, because the Dhuhr and the Asr prayer are silent, then they couldn't tell the exact number they estimated. 
due to it being silent. حَيْثُ إِنَّ السَّحَابَةِ إِحْتَاجُوا إِلَى التَّقْدِيرِ Therefore the companions needed to estimate. وَلَوْ كَانَ يَجْهَرُوا لَعَرَفُوا ذَلِكَ مِنْ قِرَاءَتِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. And if the Prophet ﷺ was reciting out loud in Dhuhr al-Asr, then they would have known straight away from his recitation how many ayat, etc. فَفِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ صَلَاةَ النَّهَارِ تَكُونُ سِرِّيَّةٌ وَهَذَا مِنْ بَابِ الْإِسْتِحْبَابِ So this indicates that the daytime prayers, they are silent. And the daytime prayers are Dhuhr al-Asr. They are the daytime prayers, Dhuhr al-Asr. As for Maghrib, it's after sunset. Isha, in the night, Fajr, before sunrise. So Maghrib, Isha and Fajr are the night prayers. The night prayers are recited loud. Whereas the two daytime prayers, Dhuhr and Asr, are recited quietly. So that is what the scholars mentioned regarding the daytime prayers and the nighttime prayers. And some of the scholars, they gave reasonings for that. They gave possible explanations as to why the daytime prayers, Dhuhr and Asr, have been kept as silent prayers, whereas the night prayers, Al-Maghrib, Al-Isha, Al-Fajr, have been decreed as loud prayers. Some of the scholars said in explanation of that, perhaps, perhaps it is because during the daytime, when there is light outside, it is the middle of the day, Dhuhr, Asr, People are alert. They are alert and they are awake. And they have in them activity and energy. Whereas when night falls, when the sun it sets, and night falls, and the time becomes late, then the people start to lose their activity, their energy, their ability. And tiredness overcomes them. So therefore it has been legislated that the imam recites out loud. To keep everybody alert and focused. That he recites out loud in the Maghrib, the Isha and the Fajr, those times of night. In order that the people who are in those times of night, perhaps overcome by some degree of tiredness, that they are kept alert by the loud recitation. Whereas Dhuhr and Asr, it's the daytime, light everywhere. People are alert anyway. That is one explanation the scholars have given. Not that this is a narration or a hadith, but a possible explanation as to why the prayers in the day are quiet and they are loud at night. However, praying those prayers quietly during the day, the dhuhr and the asr quietly, then as Shaykh al-Fawzan mentions, this is something that is from the sunnah, that's how it is, it's mustahab. However, if a person prayed dhuhr and asr with loud recitation, he didn't do it quietly to himself. He prayed Dhuhr or Asr with loud recitation. Then is his prayer correct or is it false? If a person recites in the Dhuhr and the Asr loud, then is that person's prayer correct or incorrect? Does he have to pray it again if he's prayed out loud in Dhuhr or Asr? It's correct. Why? Because not a sinner to pray. Obviously, it's a sunnah to do it silently, but it's not a it's not a pillar to pray to do it silently. So that's why some of the ulama have said to pray it loud. The prayer is too jazz, but you're going against the sunnah. What about another evidence? That's correct. That's correct. And another evidence that we just mentioned in the last hadith. On some occasions in Dhuhr and Asr, it would be heard. On some occasions in Dhuhr and Asr in the previous hadith, it said some of the ayat would be audible. If it was the case that your prayer is false, if you recite out loud, then how come on some of the occasions the ayat were made audible? They could be heard, indicating the prayer is correct. So if a person did end up reciting in Dhuhr and Asr for whatever reason, loudly they forgot or whatever it was the case, their prayer is still correct. However, no doubt what is superior and better and more complete, if you want to fulfill the description of the Prophet's prayer, is that a person recites quietly in Dhuhr and Asr, and that is the sunnah uh, of the Prophet ﷺ. And the loud recitation, it is in the night prayers, Al-Maghrib, Al-Isha, Al-Fajr. وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ دَلِيلٌ أَيْضًا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ صَلَاتَهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم 
متدرجة في الطول والقصر ومتناسبة Also this hadith indicates now that the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ It was between being lengthy and short It was in different stages The prayer of the Prophet ﷺ And it was appropriate and suitable فَكَانَ يَطُولُ الْأُولَى أَوْ يُطَوِّلَ الْأُولَى مِنَ الظُّهْرِ So the Prophet ﷺ used to elongate the first raka'ah of dhuhr. وَالثَّانِيَ تَكُونُ أَخَفَّ مِنْهَا And the second raka'ah of dhuhr was slightly less in terms of how long it was compared to the first one. The first raka'ah of dhuhr was longer. The second raka'ah a bit shorter than that. وَفِي الْأَخِيرَتَيْنِ تَكُونَانِ أَخَفَّ مِنَ الْأُولِيَيْنِ and the third and the fourth, they are even shorter than what the first and the second were. So the first raka'ah was the longest. Then the second raka'ah a bit shorter. Then the third and the fourth shorter again. This was what's mentioned regarding the prayer of the Prophet Wallulayani <laughs> And the first two from Salatul Asr, it is mentioned here now that they were equivalent to the last raka'ah from Dhuhr. So the first two of Salatul Asr, they would be equivalent to the ending of Salatul Dhuhr. Therefore the first two of Salatul Asr, they are obviously a lot shorter then your first two of Salatul Dhuhr. Because the first two of Salatul Asr, they were equivalent to what the ending of Salatul Dhuhr was like. And the ending of Salatul Dhuhr was obviously shorter than the beginning of Salatul Dhuhr. So everybody needs to make this mental mind, uh, this mind map. So now you have the first two of Asr, which are, as it says here now, عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأَخِيرَةِ مِنَ الظُّهْرِ Equivalent to the final one of Dhuhr. وَالْأَخِيرَتَانِ مِنَ الْعَسَرِ تَكُونَانِ عَلَى النِّصْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكِ So now, what about the third and the fourth raka'ah of Salatul Asr? It is half of that first one. So that's even shorter. Generally speaking then, what therefore do you understand? That the Asr prayer, it is prayed longer or shorter than the Dhuhr prayer. Shorter than the Dhuhr prayer, therefore, based upon this narration. Based upon this narration, it indicates that the beginning of the Asr prayer was equivalent to the ending of the Dhuhr prayer. And the ending of the Asr prayer was half of even that. So therefore, the Asr prayer overall is shorter than the length of the Dhuhr prayer overall. That's what this particular narration indicates. And that's why it says, وَفِي الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ قَدْرَ النِّصْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَفِي الْأُولَيَيْنِ مِنَ الْعَسَرِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأَخِيرَيْنِ قَدْرَ النِّصْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَفِي الْأُولَيَيْنِ مِنَ الْعَسَرِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ الْأُخْرَيَيْنِ مِنَ الظُّهْرِ وَالْأُخْرَيَيْنِ عَلَىٰ نِصْفِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ So that's why it says now that the first two from Asr, they were equivalent to the endings of Dhuhr. And the second two of Asr are half of that. So therefore Asr is prayed or the standing within the Asr is shorter uh, than the standing in Dhuhr. And that is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. After that, عن سليمان بن يسار قال كان فلان يطيل الأوليين من الظهر ويخفف العصر ويقرأ في المغرب بقصار المفصل وفي العشاء بوسطه وفي الصبح بطواله فقال أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه ما صليت وراء أحد أشبه صلاة برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من هذا أخرجه النساء بإسناد صحيح In this hadith of Suleyman ibn Yasar and he was the freed slave of Maymunah, Ummul Mu'mineen, radiyallahu ta'ala anha. And he was, in fact, from the major scholars of the Tabi'een. 
Sulaiman ibn Yasar, the freed slave of Maymuna, Umm al-Mu'minina radiyallahu anha, and he, Sulaiman ibn Yasar, min kibari ulama'i tabi'een. He was from the major scholars of the tabi'een. The tabi'een being the generation after the sahaba. You have the sahaba, then the tabi'een, and then atba'i tabi'een. So he was from the generation straight after the sahaba, and he was from the major scholars of that generation of the tabi'een. وَأَحَدُ الْفُقَهَاءِ السَّبْعَةِ الَّذِينَ انْتَهَتْ إِلَيْهِمُ الْفَتْوَ فِي عَهْدِهِمْ And he was known and recognized at that time as one of the seven fuqaha, one of the great seven fuqaha that the fatwa would be sought from. وَقَدْ رُوِيَ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَ صَاحِبْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَنَّهُ وَسَفَ صَلَاةَ رَجُلٍ كَأَنْ يَأُمُّ الْ كان يا أم المسلمين في المسجد النبوي بأنها كانت أشبه بصلاة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهذا الرجل الذي صلى خلفه أبو هريرة وصف صلاته لم يسمى في هذه الرواية لكنه سمي في رواية أخرى بأنه عمر بن سلمة وقد كان أميرا على المدينة زمن بني أمية إن الحديث says سليمان بن يسار mentions كان فلانا that there was an individual, there was an individual, a particular person, and he used to elongate, make longer, the first two raka'at of Dhuhr, and he would lighten the Asr prayer somewhat, and he would recite in the Maghrib prayer, Qisar al-Mufassal, we'll come to that in a moment, and in the Isha he would recite a certain amount, and in the morning prayer he would recite a certain amount, this particular individual who would recite in this way, Abu Huraira prayed behind him, and he said that this Imam, this individual who's leading the prayer, he is the closest to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. But who was that Imam then? Who was this individual who was leading the prayer that Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu prayed behind him, and Abu Huraira after praying behind him said, he is the closest to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. Very close in resemblance to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. Who did Abu Huraira say that about? In this hadith, it doesn't tell us. In this particular hadith, it just says, Kana fulanun. That an individual used to do that. An individual, a particular person used to lead the prayer in this way. However, in other narrations of this particular hadith, it is mentioned that he was Amr ibn Salama, who was the leader of Medina at the time, who was the Amir of Medina at the time. Uh, it is mentioned in some narrations that that is the individual who is being spoken about in this narration, Amr ibn Salama. So, in this hadith, uh, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu says that his prayer, the way he was praying, he was reciting and standing. Similar, very close to resembling the Prophet ﷺ, the accurate and most closest to that. But what was he doing then? He was elongating the first two raka'at of Dhuhr, and that we mentioned in the previous narration, the first raka'at of Dhuhr is the longest, then the second one is long too, but a bit shorter than the first one. So here the hadith mentions the same thing, that he, Amr ibn Salama, used to elongate the first two raka'at of Dhuhr, وَيُخَفِّفُ الْعَصَرِ And he used to lighten the Asr prayer. That also in the previous narration was mentioned. That the Asr prayer, it is shorter than the Dhuhr prayer in terms of the estimation of how long the Prophet ﷺ used to stand in it. So again, that is from the uh, other narration also. وَيَقْرَأُ فِي الْمَغْرِبِ And he used to recite in the Maghrib prayer بِقِسَارِ الْمُفَصَّلِ he used to recite in the Maghrib prayer with the short ones of the Mufassal. The short ones of the Mufassal. So what is Al-Mufassal? Al-Mufassal huwa al-hizb al-akhir min al-Qur'an. It is the final hizb of the Qur'an. Yabda'u ala al-qawli sahih It begins upon the most authentic opinion as the Shaykh mentions here. مِن سُورَةِ الْحُجُرَاتِ From سُورَةِ الْحُجَرَاتِ 
إِلَىٰ آخِرِ الْمُصْحَفِ To the end of the Mus'haf. From Al-Hujurat to the end of the Mus'haf, that is what's considered to be the Mufassal. When they talk about the Mufassal part of the Qur'an, it is from Hujurat to the end of the Qur'an, to the end of the Mus'haf. And some of them say, some of the scholars they say, actually the Mufassal, when we talk about the Mufassal, part of the Qur'an, then it is from Qaf wal-Qur'an al-Majid, which is Surah Qaf, Qaf wal-Qur'an al-Majid. وَبَعْضُهُمْ يَقُولُ And some of them say it begins من الدخان, from الدخان. وَبَعْضُهُمْ يَقُولُ It begins from Safat. Some of them say it begins from there. However, Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, according to what is the most authentic opinion, he mentions that it is from Al-Hujurat. To begin from that surah to the end of the Mus'haf, that's considered as the Mufassal part of the Qur'an. But as you've seen, there's a difference of opinion as to where exactly the Mufassal part of the Qur'an starts from. That's the term given to it, the Mufassal. Why is it called Al-Mufassal? That section of the Qur'an, that section, why is it known as Al-Mufassal? Al-Mufassal, the Shaykh says, لِكَثْرَةِ فَوَاصِلِهِ فَآيَاتُهُ قَصِيرَةِ وَصُوَرُهُ قَصِيرَةِ وَهُوَ مَكِّيٌّ وَالْغَالِبُ عَلَى الصُّوَرِ الْمَكِّيَّةِ قِصِرُ الْآيَاتِ that is because al-mufassal in Arabic, one of its meanings is something which is broken up. Something which has many breakages within it. Many pauses within it. So now the end of the mushaf, what do you notice about the ayat? They are a lot shorter. As opposed to the opening of the, the mushaf, you look at Surah Al-Baqarah, Ali Imran, Al-Nisa, Al-Ma'idah. They are lengthy ayat. Whereas at the end of the Mus'haf, then you find that the ayat are much shorter. Very much shorter. Each surah has multiple ayat, very short. Maybe a few words each only. So there are many pauses in between. That's what Mufassal means. The multiple breakages and pauses in between the ayat. Because they are much shorter towards the end of the Mus'haf, and they are greater in number. So this is why that part of the Qur'an is known as Al-Mufassal. Um, and many of these surahs, they are revealed in Makkah, that section of the Qur'an. They are revealed in Makkah, the surahs. And it is known that the surahs, the surah that are revealed in Makkah, many of them were of this nature. They are from the Mufassal, meaning that they are short in their length. The Shaykh says that is because the Prophet ﷺ remained 13 years in Mecca calling to Tawheed. بَقِيَ فِي مَكَّةَ ثَلَاثَ عَشَرَ سَنَةً يَدْعُوا إِلَى التَّوْحِيدِ وَتَأْسِيسِ الْعَقِيدَةِ Initially the Prophet ﷺ stayed in Mecca for 13 years calling to Tawheed and establishing the Aqeedah وَيَنْهَا عَنِ الشِّرْكِ and prohibiting the shirk. وَلَمْ تَنْزِلْ عَلَيْهِ أَحْكَامِ الْعِبَادَاتِ إِلَّا الصَّلَاةِ And none of the other rulings of worship were revealed at that time other than the prayer. The prayer that was revealed maybe a year or two approximately before the hijrah. فَإِنَّهَا كَمَا سَبَقَ فُرِدَتْ قَبْلَ الْهِجْرَةِ بِسَنَتَيْنِ أَوْ أَقَلِ The Shaykh says, as we've already mentioned, the prayer was established a couple of years or maybe less before the hijrah from Mecca to Medina. أَمَّا بَقِيَّةُ الشَّرَائِعِ فَإِنَّهَا نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمْ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ بَعْدَ الْهِجْرَةِ As for the remainder of the rulings of the legislations, the regulations, then they were revealed after the hijrah. لَمَّا اسْتَقَرَّتِ الدَّعْوَةِ When the da'wah had become established, when it had become stable. وَقَامَ الْجِهَادِ وَصَارَ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ اسْتَقْرَارٌ وَبَلَدٌ 
فحينها نزلت الشرائع والأحكام وقد ذكروا أن سور المفصل ثلاثة أقسام So when they became established in Medina and Islam became established uh, and the remainder of the rulings and the legislations, they were then revealed. Whereas initially in Medina, it was about clarifying and purifying the shirk into tawheed, removing that shirk and purifying the hearts of it in order to place the tawheed into it. So now then these mufassal chapters of the Qur'an, And it's important to know what these mufassal chapters are and their details. Because many of the narrations about the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ, it mentions in them that he would recite the mufassal, or particular surahs from the mufassal. So we need to know what this mufassal is in more detail. In order that when we see those hadith talking about the Prophet ﷺ reciting with the mufassal, we can imagine then we can work out and estimate what that length is. So in the Mufassal part of the Qur'an, in the Mufassal part of the Qur'an, the scholars they say, the Mufassal part itself is three sections. The Mufassal part, which the Shaykh says according to the correct opinion, is from Al-Hujarat to the end. From that to the end, the scholars also categorize that section into three subcategories. That section is categorized into three subcategories. The first category from that section, which is basically now towards the end of the Mus'haf, from Surah Al-Hujarat to the end. That section at the end now, they categorize it into three sections. They say the first category is from Al-Hujarat up until Surah Al-Naba'ah. From Al-Hujarat up to Surah Al-Naba'ah. Surah Al-Naba'ah, which is Amma Yatasa'alun. So from Al-Hujurat to Al-Naba'ah, Amma Yatasa'alun, they say that's the first section of the Mufassal. They say that's the first section, subcategory of the Mufassal. And that is known as the lengthy part of the Mufassal. Because we know that that Mufassal section as a whole, the ayat are much shorter. But from Al-Hujarat up to Naba, that is known as the lengthy part of the Mufassal. Because if you just look at that section, then where are the lengthiest ayat? In that first part, the closer you get to the end of the Mus'haf, the shorter the ayat get. So that first section from Al-Hujarat to Naba is considered as the lengthy part of the Mufassal. They term that as the lengthy part of the Mufassal. Meaning those... Suwar, those chapters, their ayat are still longer compared to what comes after where they get shorter and shorter. So, as-suwar al-tiwal, these are the lengthy chapters. Compared to what's going to come at the end, these are still lengthy compared to them. So they are termed as the lengthy chapters. Then you have as-suwar al-mutawasita, the medium chapters, the middle length. And they are from Surah Al-Nazi'at up to Surah Al-Duha. Al-Nazi'at, Surah Al-Nazi'at up to Surah Al-Duha. From that section is considered the middle length, medium length. Because the surahs, the chapters, they are obviously a lot shorter now compared to what they were from Hujarat to Naba'a. But they are medium length now. Why are they medium? Because after Duha to the end of the Mus'haf, they are short. Those that come after Duha to the end of the Mus'haf, they are short. Some of them barely, if you look at the Mus'haf, a couple of lines, two or three ayat, five ayat, six ayat. So this middle section from An-Nazi'at up to Duha is considered as the medium section of the Mufassal. وَالسُّورْ القصار And then the third section which is considered as the short chapters, they are from Al-Duha or from after Al-Duha to the end of the Mus'haf. So now then, if you consider that, they have this section of the Qur'an that is known as Al-Mufassal. Difference of opinion where exactly it starts from, but the Shaykh here says from Al-Hujarat. 
So from that surah up until the end of the mushaf is considered the mufassal. Within that section now, it is broken up into three categories. The first category, the lengthy surahs of this mufassal section. And they are from al-hujarat up until al-naba. Then the medium length surahs from this mufassal section, from al-naba up to al-duha, wal-annazi'at up to al-duha. Then the short surahs of this mufassal section, the shortest of it all, from after duha up until the end of the mushaf. That is what they mention regarding the mufassal. So now that we've understood that, now we'll know what the hadith means. The hadith now says, وَيَقْرَأُ فِي الْمَغْرِبِ بِقِصَارِ الْمُفَصَّلِ That this individual, Amr ibn Salama, he used to recite in the Maghrib prayer with the short parts of the Mufassal, which are from after Duha to the end. Those short chapters, those short surah, the short surahs. That's what's mentioned about his recitation. And he used to recite in the Isha prayer, he would recite the medium length. And in the Fajr, he would recite the longer ones, the lengthier ones. So now the Shaykh says, That this man used to recite in the Fajr prayer, with the long section of the Mufassal, from Al-Hujarat to Surah Al-Naba. لِأَنَّ السُنَّ فِي صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ أَن تُطَوَّلْ فِيهَا الْقِرَاءَةِ Because as we've learned already before, the Sunnah in the Fajr prayer is to make it longer. The Sunnah in the Fajr prayer is to elongate the prayer. That's why it's mentioned that initially, the prayer used to be two raka'at for Fajr, two raka'at for Dhuhr, two raka'at for Asr, two raka'at for Isha. It's mentioned that initially that's what the prayer was. Then afterwards, the ruling became that if you are a traveler, you stick with that. Shorten to two, two, two for Dhuhr, for Asr, for Isha. But if you are a resident, the prayer was extended and completed up until four raka'at. Four for Dhuhr, four for Asr, four for Isha, Maghrib is three. But why was Fajr not completed to four for the resident? It was left at two. However, even though it was left at two, it was prescribed that the recitation within it is longer. So therefore the ibadah, the actual worship becomes similar to the length of a four prayer raka'at, or four raka'at prayer. So it's from the sunnah to elongate the fajr prayer, that's why it's mentioned that Amr ibn Salama, he would recite with the lengthy parts of the mufassal, the long surahs of the mufassal section in the fajr prayer. There are ayat in the Qur'an that mention how the angels... They observe and they witness the Fajr prayer. Malaikatul Layli wa Malaikatul Nahar, the angels of the night and the angels of the day, yajtami'una fi salatil Fajr. The angels of the night, they come, and the angels of the day, they go. Then the angels of the day, they come, and the angels of the night, they go. But when do they swap over? When do they meet up? At the time of Fajr. Yajtami'una fi salatil Fajr. فَلِذَٰلِكَ يُسْتَحَبُّ تَطْوِيلُ الْقِرَاءَ فِي صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ And that's why again, it is recommended and it is suitable to elongate the recitation in the Fajr prayer. وَقَدْ سُمِّيَتْ قُرْآنًا لِأَنَّهَا تُطَوَّلُ فِيهَا الْقِرَاءَ And in fact, as they say, the word Qur'an itself, the word Qur'an, for the Qur'an, the word Qur'an itself in Arabic indicates... Lengthy recitation. The word Qur'an means to recite lengthy. Lengthy recitation, elongated recitation. Or it indicates often reciting. Something which is recited often. Or something which is elongated in its recitation. That is the Qur'an. 
You recite the Qur'an often, you elongate, you recite the Qur'an plentifully. And that's why the Qur'an is known as the Qur'an, that's what the word indicates in the Arabic language. So now then the Shaykh is going to explain in more detail. كَانَ يَقْرَأُ فِي الْمَغْرِبَ مِنْ قِصَارِ الْمُفَصَّلِ He used to recite in the Maghrib prayer with the short section of the Mufassal, right at the end. مِنَ السُّورِ الْأَخِيرَ مِنْهُ The final chapters from the Qur'an basically. لِأَنَّ الْمَغْرِبَ وَقْتُهُ ضَيِّقْ Because the time period for the Maghrib prayer, it is short, it is tight. وَلِأَنَّهُ وَقْتُ أَشْغَالِ النَّاسِ And because it is a time where the people are preoccupied and busy. That time of the day when Maghrib is, a time when the people may be preoccupied and busy. وَرُبَّمَا يَكُونُ هُنَاكَ صَائِمُونَ يَحْتَاجُونَ إِلَى الْعَشَاءِ And it is the time where those people who are fasting will need to go and eat, to have some meal after the prayer. So there are a number of reasons as to why the Maghrib prayer would be kept short. There are a number of reasons as to why the Maghrib prayer would be kept short. لِذَا فَإِنَّهُ تُقَصَّرِ الْقِرَاءَ فِي صَلَاةِ الْمَغْرِبِ That's why for these multiple reasons, different reasons, you would shorten the recitation in the Maghrib prayer. وَلَوْ قَرَأَ فِي الْمَغْرِبِ أَحْيَانًا مِنَ الطِّوَالِ فَلَا بَأْسِ However, if an imam was leading the Maghrib prayer, and sometimes he read long surahs in the Maghrib prayer, if he did that sometimes as well, there's no problem. If he did that sometimes, there isn't an issue. لِأَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَرَدَ عَنْهُ أَنَّهُ قَرَأَ بِالْأَعْرَافِ فِي الْمَغْرِبِ قَصَّمَهَا بَيْنَ رَكَعَتَيْنِ Because there is a narration. The Shaykh mentions, the Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah, that there is a narration where on an occasion, or it is mentioned, that the Prophet ﷺ, he recited Surah Al-A'raf in the Maghrib prayer, where he split it up into two, recited one part of it in the beginning raka'ah, the opening raka'ah of Al-Maghrib, and the second part in the second raka'ah of Al-Maghrib. So that's mentioned in a narration the Shaykh says, وَوَرَدَ أَنَّهُ قَرَأَ بِالصَّافَاتِ الصَّافَاتِ That's also lengthier. Lengthier obviously than the small ones at the end. It's mentioned in a narration that the Prophet ﷺ recited that in Al-Maghrib. وَوَرَدَ أَنَّهُ قَرَأَ بِالْمُرْسَلَاتِ Again that's from the lengthier ones. Lengthier ones and it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ recited that in Maghrib. At-Tur That's also mentioned in Maghrib in some narrations. So this indicates that on some narrations, in some occasions, the Prophet ﷺ did recite with the lengthier sections of the Qur'an in Maghrib. He did do that sometimes. أَمَّا الْغَالِبْ However, the majority, فَإِنَّهُ يُقْرَأُ فِي الْمَغْرِبْ مِنْ قِصَارِ الْمُفَصَّلِ The majority is that in the Maghrib prayer, the short surahs are recited. وَأَمَّا الْبَوَاقِي يعني الظهر والعصر والعشاء فيقرأ فيها من المتوسط ما بين سورة النبأ إلى سورة الضحى وقد قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لمعاذ لما قرأ بالبقرة وشكاه بعض الناس قال له اقرأ بصبح اسم ربك بصبح اسم ربك الأعلى والليل إذا يغشى والضحى وهذا في صلاة العشاء فَبَدَلًا مِنْ أَنْ يُطِيلَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَشُقَّ عَلَيْهِمْ أَرْشَدَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِلَى قِرَاءَةِ هَذِهِ الصُّورِ لِذَا يَنْبَغِي لِلْإِمَامَ يَتَحَرَّى هَذَا So that is with regards to the Maghrib, that you are supposed to recite short surahs, recite small amounts of recitation, small amounts of recitation. Whereas sometimes if you did it lengthier, it is allowed. Because it's mentioned the Prophet ﷺ on some occasions did it. Fajr prayer we've already mentioned, you're supposed to recite lengthy. Fajr prayer you're supposed to recite lengthy. Maghrib, short ones, but sometimes you can go lengthy. What about Dhuhr, Asr and Isha? That's left now. Dhuhr, Asr and Isha, what do you do in those three? 
In those three, generally speaking, you recite middle-length surahs. Middle-length amount of recitation. The middle-length amount of recitation, that is what's supposed to be done in Dhuhr, Asr, and Maghrib. And what is the middle-length of recitation? Something equivalent to Al-Naba, or from Al-Nazi'at up to Duha. Those surahs from Al-Nazi'at up to Duha, when you recite one of those surahs, the time it takes you to recite one of those surahs, that's the standing of those prayers. So, equivalent to that amount for those other prayers, Dhuhr, Asr, and Isha. Dhuhr, Asr, and Isha. There's a narration where on one occasion, Mu'adh, he recited Surah Al-Baqarah. He recited Surah Al-Baqarah. And some of the people, they complained. They complained due to the lengthy recitation. Surah Al-Baqarah, it's lengthy of course. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Recite, سَبِّحْ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى أُوْ وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى أُوْ وَالْضُحَى The Prophet ﷺ told him, in those prayers, those types of prayers, Dhuhr, Asr, Isha, in those prayers, in the Isha, for example, recite the shorter surahs or the middle length surahs, not Surah Al-Baqarah, something to that level, where you're going to complete the whole of Surah Al-Baqarah. Because in the Isha prayer, then that is where we've mentioned now, it's supposed to be middle level recitation. So it's better that the Imam looks after the people, and he recites a middle level amount of recitation, not the lengthy amount, Surah Al-Baqarah, all of it, or something of that nature. In order that he doesn't place a burden upon the people, rather he uh, looks to the people to make it appropriate for them also. بَلْ يَتَأَكَّدُ فِي حَقِّهِ أَنْ يَتَحَرَّى هَذَا لِأَنَّهُ مُتَوَسِّطٌ وَلَا يَشُقُّ عَلَى النَّاسِ كَمَا أَنَّ الْمُفَصَّلْ يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يُتَعَاهَدْ وَيُقْرَأْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ بِالذَّاتِ لِمَا فِيهِ مِنْ تَعْلِيمِ الْعَقِيدَةِ وَالنَّحِي عَنِ الشِّرْكِ ولكن في هذا الزمان يلاحظ أن كثيرا من الأئمة خصوصا حدثاء الأسنان هداهم الله تجنبوا هذه السنة فلا يقرأون من المفصل لأن أكثرهم لا يعرفه ولا يحفظه وإنما يقرأ من وسط القرآن أو من أوله ثم إن قراءتهم أيضا ليست منتظمة فسنة أن يقرأ الإنسان الصورة كاملة في ركعة أو يقسمها بين ركعتين إذا كانت طويلة so the shaykh says that reciting from the mufassal, reciting those chapters from the mufassal section, then that is what's mentioned in the sunnah to do. And that is something that should be done. Because within those mufassal parts of the mushaf, parts of the Qur'an, there is what? Descriptions of tawheed, of aqidah, warning against shirk. They were the chapters that were revealed in Makkah. So there is a great admonition within them for the people. So to recite those mufassal sections, it is from the sunnah to do so. The shaykh says nowadays though some imams, they don't do it. Some imams nowadays, they don't do that. They'll only recite from the beginning or from the middle, and they'll never recite from the mufassal section, just amma, or before that, from just tabarak. They don't recite from these ending sections, Rather, they'll stick to the beginning or the middle only. Then that's a mistake, the shaykh says. It's a mistake to do that. Rather, you recite the mufassal. It is from the sunnah to recite those suwar, those chapters from the mufassal. On top of that, the shaykh says that it is also befitting. And from the sunnah, the shaykh says that a person recites a complete surah. Meaning that you keep it in order. That if a person recites the first half of a particular surah in the first raka'ah, for example, he recites, عَمَّ يَتَسَأَلُونَ The first half of it, in the first raka'ah. Then in the second raka'ah, he should complete the second half, not go somewhere else to a different surah. Not go somewhere else to a different surah, he should complete the second half, to keep that in order. That is mentioned. However, some of the scholars, they do say, as long as the meaning is okay, the meaning has not been disturbed, then some of the scholars allow for a person to recite from different surahs in the two different raka'ahs. For example, in the first raka'ah, you could recite 
For example, something from Surah Al-Baqarah, and in the second raka'ah, the Imam recites something from Surah An-Nisa, for example. But the section he recites from Al-Baqarah, in of itself, that section makes sense. And the section he recites from the other place, in of itself it makes sense. Then it's okay, some of the scholars they mention. The mistake would be to recite something from one surah, and leave it hanging somewhere in the middle, where the following chapters, the following ayat, would have explained and completed that section, but he leaves that and goes somewhere else to some different place. That would be incorrect. But the scholars say, if in of itself that section is okay, and it explains itself, then you could go to a different one, and that section also in of itself explains itself. Some of the scholars say that's okay. But to go to half a section and leave it hanging, where the other ayat were needed to clarify further the meaning of that, or to complete the meaning of it, then it's not suitable to go elsewhere. But here the shaykh says the sunnah generally is anyway, that a person should stick to the order, if he starts half of it, then to continue from that, in the second raka'ah also. On top of that, the shaykh mentions, if a person was to recite a particular surah, the whole surah. Now, for example, in Maghrib, for example, in, in uh, Salat al-Maghrib, he comes and he recites one of the final small sections of the Mufassal as mentioned. So he recites, for example, from the end of the Mus'haf. He recites a particular surah, he selects whichever one, whatever it may be from the end. The shaykh says, is it, it is suitable, it is suitable and befitting that the second raka'ah, he recites another small surah now, but it is suitable that the surah be the one which is directly after the one he read in the first raka'ah to keep the order of the mushaf in that way too. That the shaykh says is good to do as well, that is al-afdal an yaqra allati taliha mubashara. It is better to recite the one that is straight after it. Again, that is something that the shaykh mentions. فَمَثَلًا إِذَا قَرَأَ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَىٰ So for example, if he was to recite in the first raka'ah, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَىٰ Then it is good for him to recite in the second raka'ah, وَالضُّحَىٰ وَقَدْ تَكَلَّمَ قَدْ تَكَلَّمَ بْنِ الْقَيِّمْ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ فِي زَادِ الْمَعَادِ فِي هَذَا الْمَوْضُوعِ وَاسْتَغْرَبَ مَنْ مِنْ أَنَّ بَعْضَ النَّاسِ يَقْرَأَ مِنْ وَسَطِ الصُّورَ أو يقرأ في ركعة ثانية من سورة أخرى. The Sheikh mentions that Ibn al-Qayyim in his book Zad al-Ma'ad, Provisions of the Hereafter, Ibn al-Qayyim رحمه الله mentioned that he is surprised and shocked at people who start reciting from the middle of the surah. They'll start from the middle of the surah and they leave the beginning part of it. Or they recite some of it and they leave the ending of it off. Or they recite two different surahs in the two raka'at. Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, this is against the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. فَإِنَّهُ The Prophet ﷺ never used to recite from the middle of the surahs. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ يَقْرَأْ مِنْ أَوَاخِرِ السُورَ And he never used to recite at the end of the surahs. وَإِنَّمَا كَانَتْ عَادَتُهُ أَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقْرَأُ مِنْ أَوَائِلِ السُورَ the habit of the Prophet ﷺ was in his recitation to begin at the beginning of the surahs every time. وَكَانَ يَقْرَأُ السُورَ كَامِلَةً أَوْ يُقَسِّمُهَا بَيْنَ رَكَعَتَيْنَ And he would recite the full surah or split it up between the two raka'at. أَوْ يَقْرَأُ سُورَتَيْنِ مُتَوَالِيَتَيْنِ Or recite two surahs that follow each other in the mushaf. For example, it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would recite سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى and then in the next surah, هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ الْغَاشِيَةِ And it's not mentioned, لَمْ يَرِدْ عَنْهُ سَأَسَلَمْ أَنَّهُ قَرَأَ مِنْ أَوَاسِدِ السُّورِ إِلَّا فِي رَاتِبَةِ الْفَجْرِ فَإِنَّهُ وَرَدَ أَنَّهُ سَأَسَلَمْ كَانَ يَقْرَأُ فِي رَكَعَةِ الْأُولَى قُولُوا آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْنَا And it's not mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would recite from the middle of the surahs, except for that which is mentioned regarding the ratibah of the fajr, the two sunnah of the fajr. It's mentioned that sometimes he would recite in that one. 
the ayat from Surah Al-Baqarah, قُولُوا آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْنَا وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ وَالْأَسْبَاطِ Ayah 136. And that he would recite in the second raka'ah, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Ali Imran 64. It's mentioned that he would recite those two in the two raka'at of the sunnah of Fajr. And that is again, actually because there is a link between the meanings of those two. There is actually some suitable link between them. Uh, but other than that, generally speaking, it is not mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would break up the surahs, different ones in different raka'at. Typically speaking, he would break up the same surah into two raka'at, or recite two separate surahs that follow on from each other, typically speaking. However, like we say, some of the scholars have said, that if it makes sense, then it's not a major issue, it is permissible and it's allowable. Of course, if somebody didn't do that, and they read from the end of a surah, and the end of a different surah, and the second raka'ah, then the prayer of course is still correct. The prayer of course is still correct. So at the end of this hadith then the shaykh says فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى مَا يَنْبَغِي لِلْإِمَامِ أَنْ يَقْرَأْ بِهِ فِي الصَّلَوَاتِ الْخَمْسِ This hadith now then explains to us the level of recitation that should be done in the five prayers. فِي المغرب مِنْ قِصَارِ المفصل. In the Maghrib it should be the short section of the Mufassal, the end of the Mus'haf. And لَا بَأْسَ أَحْيَانًا أَنْ يَقْرَأْ قِرَاءَةً طَوِيلًا No problem if sometimes he recites longer than that, with a lengthier recitation. وَفِي الْفَجْرِ مِنْ تَوَالِ الْمُفَصَّلِ And in the Fajr he should recite from the lengthy sections of the Mufassal, that equivalent amount. وَلَا مَانِعْ أَنْ يَقْرَأْ مِنْ غَيْرِ الْمُفَصَّلِ فِي الْفَجْرِ كَمَا سَيَأْتِي فِي الْكَلَامِ عَنْ يَوْمِ الْجُمْعَةِ And there's no problem, it doesn't have to be the actual Mufassal ones. It can be other surahs of the Qur'an, but we're going to come to those ahadith later. أَمَّا أَنْ يَهْجَرْ الْمُفَصَّلْ هَجَرًا تَامًا وَلَا يَقْرَأْ مِنْهُ أَبَدًا فَهَذَا خِلَافَ السُنَّةِ And as for an individual leaving off the mufassal ayat and not reciting them at all, then this is in contradiction to the sunnah, those mufassal ayat should not be abandoned, they should be recited in the prayers. One more narration we'll mention off that we uh, also quoted earlier. The hadith of Jubair ibn Mut'im radiyallahu anhu, the next hadith. قال, سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرأ في المغرب بالطور. متفق عليه. He says, I heard the Prophet ﷺ reciting in Maghrib, at-tur. Jubair ibn Mut'im, the reciter, or rather, sorry, the narrator of this hadith, radiyallahu anhu, Jubair ibn Mut'im ibn Adi al-Adawi. من آل عبد مناف من قريش. He was from the family of عبد مناف from قريش. And he was from the senior people of أهل مكة. And he used to be from the مشركين. قدم على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في المدينة وهو مشرك. He came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in Medina whilst he was a مشرك on some job or some role he'd been given he needed to go and fulfill in Medina. فسمع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرأ في صلاة المغرب سورة الطور. And when he was in that that delegation, that mission, whatever it was he'd been given to do, to go and do it in Medina. He was a mushrik at the time. He came to do this particular job he'd been given to do, this task he had to carry out in Medina. And whilst he was there, it so happened that he ended up hearing the Prophet ﷺ reciting in Surah Al-Maghrib, Surah Tur. And he was amazed by the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ. And he was dragged, He was his attention was drawn in to the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ. And so when the Prophet ﷺ came to the ayah, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Or were they created from nothing? Or are they the creators? He said, كَادَ قَلْبِ أَنْ يَطِيرُ It's as if my heart was about to flutter away, fly away. لِأَنَّ فِيهَا بُرْهَانًا عَظِيمًا Because within this ayah, are they the creators? Or were they created from nothing rather? Were they created from nothing? Or are they the creators? There is a great evidence within that, and a great threat and challenge to the mushrikeen. And he was from them at the time. ثُمَّ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَنَّ عَلَيْهِ بِالْإِسْلَامِ And thereafter, he was bestowed 
with Islam, he accepted Islam, and he became a Muslim, and his Islam was good thereafter. فهو عندما روى هذا الحديث لم يكن في ذلك الوقت على الإسلام وقد سمعه يقرأ بالطور في المغرب. So at the time when Jubair ibn Mut'im heard this hadith, he wasn't actually a Muslim. He heard this particular narration when he was still a disbeliever. When he came to Medina that time and he heard the Prophet ﷺ reciting a tour in the Maghrib prayer. And then afterwards he became Muslim and he narrated this. That on that occasion, I came and I heard the Prophet ﷺ reciting tour when he was praying the Maghrib prayer. So this was the evidence where it highlighted that sometimes in the Maghrib prayer it is possible to recite the lengthier chapters as opposed to the short ones from the Mufassal. So we leave it at that section for now. And insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll continue with this uh, particular subject in the next lesson, which will be after uh, perhaps three weeks now. In two weeks' time, there is the conference in Birmingham too, insha'Allah. So perhaps in approximately three weeks now on a Thursday, we'll continue with this. But it will be advertised when the time is, insha'Allah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.